0: side. I'm Matt Mervis, the director of the Skills 21 project based learning program and AI strategy at EdAdvance.
1: And I'm Liz Rade, the director of research and innovation at EdAdvance.
0: And this is Chat EDU, a podcast about AI in K 12 education. In today's episode, Every Learner, Every Possibility will explore how AI can meet each and every learner where they are in order to address their unique learning needs, interests, and learning journey.
1: But first, in the news, Matt will talk about watermarking and and the implications for education.
0: Liz will explore how AI might see the world through the eyes of a child.
1: Matt will update us on the fascinating and slightly terrifying world of AI agents.
0: And finally, Liz will go back in time and help us understand how AI vision is unlocking the secrets from the past. And then we'll go beneath the surface as we explore how generative AI can support every learner and every possibility.
1: And we'll end with a new listener question and our pal Hey Pie in chat box.
0: Liz, we're here at a brand new table.
1: I know. We're very lucky.
0: Thank you, Jonathan Costa, for giving us a little upgrade.
1: It goes up and down. It's one of those magic tables. Seriously? Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. It is so nice to be back. Liz, you told me such an interesting story about your dad, who I've gotten to know just a little bit.
1: Yeah. So my dad had his first experience using some AI about a week ago. So he's an antique car owner and collector of things related to antique cars. The best place for him to buy and sell things is on eBay. And for years, he has been selling stuff there and buying and recently he went to sell something and the site asked if he wanted to use AI to draft the full description of his item I like that you know he hears me talk about it all the time so he tried it and was really impressed with how accurate the description was and obviously how much better it sounded than if he had written the description himself and it was just fun because my parents really don't have a lot of opportunity to use AI and so but they hear me talk about it all the time so for my dad to use it he was at first definitely that you know amazement that we all had when we first started playing with chat a little scared that like whoa this is kind of weird and it was a little bit of an eye-opener for him because he was like oh so that's why all these descriptions are so good it's not people
0: (laughs) it's like why is everybody better than me all of a sudden
1: yeah so it's not these old car collectors that have all become this these great writers they're just using ai and uh you know but he was really excited to have something AI generated and kind of understand what I'm always talking about now.
0: That's an awesome story. And it's so it's cool. So eBay just built it in. It's not like he ran off to ChatGPT. It's just sitting there waiting for him.
1: Yeah. When you get down to the part where it says like full product description, it says you can write your description or use AI and it gives you the opportunity and it tells you that you can edit what AI wrote so you're not committing to the AI written description.
0: We've spoken before about how this will start popping up everywhere in school settings and lots of different tools, but it's fun how the broader consumer market, I'm sure Shopify and Etsy, you know, be all over the place. What is his favorite? Like, what's his, I mean, you may not know the answer to this and then you'll be embarrassed as his daughter, but what's like the coolest antique car that he's owned?
1: So in my lifetime, he has owned a 1931 Plymouth and a 1921 Page. And Uh, This is a great story. Both of those cars he used in his wedding. He rode to his wedding in the 31 Plymouth, which he has owned for over 50 years, and the 21 Page. And when I got married, we also used both of those cars. So I rode to my wedding in the Page and then... um, we rode home in the Plymouth.
0: Okay. About to cry. Going to move on. That's really sweet.
1: So speaking of family, I know you just brought your son back to college a couple of weeks ago. So um, you've been talking about how he's been using AI. So what's going on there?
0: Yeah, my kids both uh, just know I'm obsessed. So somehow this becomes a thing, like if they know they're sitting with dad for half an hour or having dinner or riding in the car, they're like, okay, well, we can get through this by talking to him about AI. So that's, that's fine. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, it's been so interesting. His fall uh, term, there was really no guidance from professors. He came back for the second term, and each professor had a very specific policy. So clearly there was an edict that everyone had to come in the door um, this winter with something. And basically each of his professors, I won't say where he's going to school, Will protect his privacy and anonymity. But yeah, they all said, no way, no how, don't do it, which is interesting. Uh, I've been reading a great email newsletter from higher ed called Automated. I'd highly recommend that. I think it's great for higher ed, but also has a lot of insights for K 12. One of his teachers, uh, it was so interesting, said, basically, you can't use AI. He asked a question about whether or not it is possible to write about it or talk about it. So his professor said, you can't use it and you'll never have a reason to reference it. And I thought this was fascinating, the idea that AI is something as a topic that you wouldn't be allowed to talk about. It's like Voldemort, like you may not say his name. What does that even mean?
1: I can't imagine that you can't even talk about it or reference it, especially, I mean, I believe he's studying like sociology or something that has huge societal impacts. So to not be allowed to even reference it seems really counterintuitive or strange.
0: I agree, Liz. We'll see where this all goes. I have to imagine, just like the conversations in K-12 about moving from bands to teacher access for productivity, and now, as we've been discussing in this podcast, moving towards student-facing AI in a safe, ethical, and responsible manner, I'm hopeful that our brethren in higher ed will begin to look at it in that way. I will say one of his professors is using an AI tool called Packback, and I looked it up. It goes back for a few years, kind of before the chat GPT explosion. It's basically similar to something that we've discussed, like a custom GPT, where it gives specific feedback on student writing in particular ways, and the professor finds a lot of value in it. The kids find a lot of value in it, so that was like a little crack in the door outside of the notebook. No way, no how under no circumstance, never.
1: So I'm taking two classes this semester that are graduate level classes, and one doesn't reference AI in the syllabus at all. And one says that you can use it, but you can't cut and paste directly from Chat GPT or any large language model into your work. And if you do use it, you have to acknowledge that you've used right. it in that your paper. Sense. And that seemed totally reasonable to me and you know i'm happy to know that this teacher is at least recognizing
0: i saw recently that the u.s patent office said that ai can't specifically patent something but if somebody uses ai uh, they can use it in their patent they just have to acknowledge it so maybe that will be the pledge we'll all fulfill
1: It's always great catching up and hearing what's going on in AI and this week with our families. So let's kick off with you talking about your specialization, Broken Promises. Just kidding. But there is a broken promise that has caught your attention. Yeah,
0: that's kind of harsh. Broken Promises, my specialization. Well, it's not quite a broken promise, but um, in July, pretty much all the major tech companies went to the White House and made a number of commitments and pledges about safe, ethical, and productive uses of AI. And one of the headlines was watermarking, right? The idea that when an AI image or a piece of text is created, there could be a watermark so that we knew it came from AI. This actually would solve a whole mess of problems, Deep fakes, misinformation, some of the academic integrity issues. I mean, we know that the content detection tools in schools don't work accurately, so those aren't reliable. But if the companies were watermarking everything, that'd be a great way for teachers to know what's going on. So we're not there on text. I suspect that it slows down the whole AI enterprise too much in the adoption. So who knows if we'll go there. But both Meta and OpenAI recently agreed to begin watermarking their images. So if there's a really cool picture of the Pope in a puffer jacket, which is an awesome photo, I don't know if you've seen it, that we would know, in fact, that the Pope doesn't wear a puffer jacket.
1: That seems like a step in the right direction to watermark images. Other images that are being generated look real and send the wrong message.
0: So it's not exactly broken promises yet. It's definitely a delayed promise. And we'll see if watermarking of images goes beyond that to watermarking for all generative AI content coming from these large technology companies. So if my specialization is broken promises, yours is babies. No, I'm just kidding, but <laughs> what?
1: Absolutely not. <laughs>
0: what I know you've been thinking about babies and AI. Tell us a bit about that. Yes,
1: so there was recently a study where they had a baby wear a camera for about 61 hours, and they were using the footage to teach AI the language the way the baby learns language. So That
0: poor baby, a camera on its head for how many hours?
1: 61, over the course of a long time. It's
0: like just strap an Apple Vision Pro on that kid while you're at it.
1: Well, it was actually like 0.1% of the baby's time because it was over 18 months. So, you know, when we think about how humans learn language or babies learn language, they learn first to associate objects with words. And so the study was looking at teaching AI in that same kind of way, this word-object association, because Because the way AI is trained right now is on so much data, where babies have a much smaller window and much less information, but they still learn human language. And so that's part of the conversation and the interest in this article is, you know, how do babies learn language? How is that different than the way an AI? uses and learns language. So it was pretty interesting. The AI was able to learn the language the way the baby was to make object and noun connections.
0: So your kids are 12 and 14, but after reading this, are you thinking, hmm, maybe more babies in my life?
1: No, not in my life, but I... I'm excited to see babies in other people's lives. I love babies. So you started talking to me about agents the other day. And so when I think about agents, I'm thinking like secret agents or spies. But you said it's something different. So what have you been reading about? Yeah,
0: the information had a really interesting article recently about ai agents and open ai i know we think i talk a lot about open ai but it was about their strategy and that they would be shifting their focus now to what's called agentic behavior or how ai acts like agents and so in this case um ai is basically doing multiple functions. So they, rather than just, the best example is imagine that ChatGPT builds an itinerary for you. Like I hear, I need a travel itinerary. I'm going to, well, you go everywhere. Norway, Sweden, this place, that place. No, I mean, I'm so jealous. But anyhow, let's-
1: Vancouver is next. Oh
0: God, different podcast. So imagine Liz is planning one of her many trips and she uses ChatGPT to build an itinerary for that trip. So an agent would actually go ahead and book it. So rather than just do the research and say, I've got a $5,000, I wanna go here, there, and there, I wanna stay in these types of towns, it'd actually just go through and book the hotels and book the flights. It would do all the behavior acting, in this case, like as a travel agent. And that's a fascinating and slightly terrifying opportunity in the world of AI. There's an interesting concept that folks would say, don't teach AI how to program language or don't teach it how to write code and don't put it on the internet. (laughs) And we've done both (laughs) Both of those those things things. (laughs) in spades. And this agentic behavior is a really good example of that. And it makes me wonder about teaching and learning. We've already started to think about and see like all this unlock where teachers are able to use AI in efficient ways that improve their productivity. And so if AI acts as an agent, what are all the other things they might be able to do? I mean, think about all the forms, the field trip form, The there was an accident at school, some of their evaluative forms that they have to do. So I'm not talking about teaching learning. I'm just talking about administrative stuff where they might pull data from one system and another system and put it together. And so if an AI agent is able to make their lives all the more efficient and effective, that could be cool.
1: Yeah, but it's a little bit scary. I think this is a big fear that teachers have is that, you know, if AI can do all of these things, like what's next and what can it do that can replace teachers? And I think that is really, really scary because we're trying to, we know that we're saying the role of the teacher isn't going anywhere, but what you're saying is a lot more terrifying if teachers can automate tasks like grading papers and they aren't giving the feedback anymore. And so then what is their role if they're not giving the feedback or coaching the student? So I don't know. It's a little scary.
0: This is something we do have to pay close attention to. I've had great sessions doing PD where we talk about what would it look like when with secure data privacy in place a teacher could take a rubric take a piece of student writing feed it into a large language model and get feedback and there's two ways to look at that scenario in one case the ai you know if a teacher's like been in a groove on that lesson they know exactly what they're looking for in the assessment but the ai might bring fresh eyes to it so the ability to see something in the student writing that the teacher has just sort of gotten conditioned not to see or that the AI, in this case, the chatbot, has no bias. So they don't think anything about that student, and they're able to give feedback without that type of a lens. So that could be super rich, as long as the teacher stays as the human in the loop and is part of that feedback, right? So if they're leveraging the AI, they're also using their own human intelligence, and they're able to bring those things together, all of a sudden that assessment picture got richer and more powerful, and the student could benefit in more ways. But if the teacher steps out of that role and the AI is really doing that function for them, they are de-skilling. I think that's r- exactly right, Liz. If you take you know assessment and content delivery and decision-making and all these things that are core to teachers and teachers wind up handing those over to AI in the name of efficiency or organizational efficiency, because that's what the school wants, they are de-skilling. All of a sudden, you've got, rather than the AI and the teacher partnering, you have basically the the teacher babysitting the AI as the AI plays these roles with kids. This is something that teachers will have to pay close attention to because it is, and I think this is true of all workplaces and all kind of professional knowledge work, you really want to make sure that the human is prominent in that position because otherwise it does sort of threaten their role a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, this idea of an agent, even making my travel reservations, I still want to be, I want to be the one, you know vetting the hotels give me a few suggestions and there may be things even if i feed ai all of my preferences there's still going to be something that i like one over the other what
0: about the flight though right i mean how great would that be i agree about the hotel i want to look at every picture i want to read all the reviews but you know i tell the agent don't let me get stuck give me a good route give me a good price oh my god that's a dream i would love that
1: i guess I don't know. I liked making my own decisions.
0: (laughs) So coming back to teaching and learning for one sec. Often in professional development, as we have these conversations with teachers, there is this fear about what is my role. And I routinely try to make a point that the AI will get better over time, at helping kids know what something is and how to do something, how it works, they'll become really effective tutors. But the interplay between what I know and able to do as a student and who I am and where I'm going, I believe in my core that only skilled, professional, caring adults, live, naturally intelligent teachers can actually help kids understand who they are and where they're going. And so that's where I put the flag on the field and say, don't lose that position because it's critical that a human being is helping kids think about who they are and where they're going. Liz, in our first few episodes, we've come back to this idea of AI not just being text in and text out, but multimodal, including the fascinating world of vision where you can show AI something that's visual, and it can make meaning out of it. I love this area. I think we'll talk about it more and more. I know we both love the Hard Fork podcast, and they've been covering this story about scrolls and AI vision. So catch us up on that. There's been a big development.
1: Archaeologists found some ancient Roman scrolls buried during the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, which was back in AD 79. So these are really old scrolls. But the language on them was unreadable because of the kind of the language it was written in was not written in Italian or Latin. And they used AI to figure out what those scrolls said. So they uncovered an unknown text on Epicurean philosophy discussing the nature of pleasure. And so this was actually a competition for students to use AI to decode these scrolls. So it brought together kids from a couple of different fields, or students, not kids, in computer science, machine learning, robotics, and they were able to decode a portion of these scrolls using AI vision. So how cool is that?
0: I love that the core text was about pleasure, too. It's like, (laughs) think of all the things it could be. we found these scrolls. It's all about having a good time.
1: That's so much better than what it could have been like although if it was like a great recipe for like grandma's spaghetti sauce that was made in mount vesuvius that would have been pretty cool that
0: would have been pretty cool
1: but pleasure i guess that's second to a really great recipe time to get beneath the surface with our AI and education deep dive.
0: Last week, we had a really fun Zoom with two teachers that we're working with in a district in Connecticut where we do our work. They are using a tool that we've developed called Sidekick AI Academy. This is a student-facing AI that is data privacy compliant and reflects best practice and use. And in this case, uh, we were talking with a teacher in an AP Lang course and another teacher who's doing a sheltered biology course, so sheltered immersion. So two really different audiences of students and they were going through a number of the prompts that are student facing like, In these cases, summarization or giving the AI a role or having the AI give feedback on student writing without writing for the student. And it was really interesting to think about how, in these cases, AI was meeting the unique needs of very different learners.
1: When I dug into the biology students' work, they were doing this really cool project on the deer population, limiting or controlling the deer population in that area of Connecticut. And so they were giving the chatbot a role of an environmental scientist who speaks Spanish To go back and forth with, you know, how can we control the deer population in an urban environment? Uh, The school is in an urban area. Obviously, they aren't going to go let hunters out and about in the city. That would be bad. Yeah, that would not be a good way to control the deer population. (laughs) But the kids were able to use and go back and forth with the chatbot, having it translate things into Spanish, summarize things in Spanish. They could respond. Um, Not all of them have good spoken or good written Spanish. So they may reply in English, but get their answers back in Spanish. Um, So it was really interesting to see how they were using it, um, both as playing the role and still asking it to summarize and getting it in a language they were most comfortable using. It was just so great.
0: So that really is every learner in every possibility, right? They were able to have the lexile level, the language, they could stretch, it was adaptable, it was human like. It's really interesting. And we're not there yet on our um, tool development, but the idea soon of being able to use voice input and get voice output to sort of have spoken conversations with the language models, I think, um, as well as eventually vision and multimodality, will reflect a number of interesting ways that every learner and every possibility can play out. But it's so fun talking to these teachers about their pilot of this student-facing AI and how it's uniquely meeting the needs of their kids.
1: Yeah, we talked about, you know, these are AP upper-level students that are using it in one way and, you know, biology students who are English language learners using it in another way. We talked about um, many of those AP students are in the debate club and how this could become something that they use for extracurricular activities and, you know, learning about debate. So it was just... Really fun to see all the ways that students were interacting with it. And of course, there were ways that students were interacting with it that weren't effective. At the end of each activity in Sidekick, we asked the students to reflect on their experience. And many of the students were pasting that question right in. And the AI kept saying, I can't reflect on my own use. So the question is about their use of AI or how it was helpful. And the AI was telling the students, I, I don't know how I was helpful in your assignment. So, you know, there are still plenty of ways AI doesn't do the work for students. Which
0: is good in this scenario. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: One last thing I thought was interesting from the AP Lang teacher was the prompt. So there are seven unique prompts that Teachers can use. Actually, I think there's eight because we've just added Ethical Navigator. But um, the AP Lang teacher was using Check It Out, which is basically a tool that lets students get feedback on their own writing. And she was pretty ecstatic, as I think any teacher would be. Again, it's not our tools. I think that's important here. It's what does it look like for students to begin to use AI in a safe ethical and productive manner that's student facing and this whole idea of a chatbot that is has custom instructions just like my son's uh, packback example in his at, at college so the idea that a chatbot is available to a student anywhere, anytime, to give them feedback on their writing, she thought was pretty cool.
1: She was using the AI to both teach about tone and help the students to perfect the tone of an argumentative essay.
0: So Sidekick is one of many tools that will emerge that will support both students and teachers in terms of meeting every student where they're at. Certainly, we've been really blown away by DIFFIT, Um, which is a teacher productivity tool. Teachers can essentially put in a lesson that they're working on and come up with a whole wide range of differentiation strategies. I know brisk teaching has been something that teachers have enjoyed for like lexile adjustments to make sure that the reading level is accessible. Um, And then certainly Magic School is doing some of this as well. I think we'll see more and more of these tools, and we're looking forward to doing a whole episode on a range of both student-facing and teacher productivity tools specifically designed to support differentiation and meeting the unique needs of all learners.
1: Personalization is one of the key words that we are hearing about AI and its ability to personalize education. So the differentiation is a key kind of feature of AI that is going to be very exciting for teachers. All right, it's time for our question with Chat Back.
0: So Chat Back is the last section of the podcast where we take an email or a question from a listener. And this week, we hear from Kelly Brooks from Montville High School over in Montville, Connecticut. She asks a great question that we hear a lot. Are there any tells that teachers can look for when reading student work that indicates that the student used AI to complete the assignment?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that I'm thinking of is that if you cut and paste directly out of ChatGPT into Microsoft Word and it comes up in the Roboto font, it's probably been cut and pasted from ChatGPT. Poor
0: Roboto. Like that font is now dead to everybody. Like, oh, geez, don't don't get Roboto in there.
1: Yeah. So definitely when you cut and paste from ChatGPT, it lands in the Roboto font. So that's, that's a pretty good
0: tell. It'd be fun if they changed the font like every day just <laughs> to keep everybody on their toes. There's a little irony in this question because we've been speaking the last couple episodes about safe, productive, ethical use of student-facing AI, how kids can use AI productively, but there's still the significant and present issues around students using AI to complete assignments and not citing it or trying to do it in a way that is not consistent with academic integrity.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, sometimes students get a little lazy and cut and paste and leave in phrases like, as a large language model... Also a pretty good tell.
0: I notice in my own, because I certainly just like you, use AI a lot to do like early drafts or do some outlining. And uh, I need to create like a just a great index of all these. But I find overly enthusiastic or Thusey. Do the kids still say Thusey?
1: I have not heard that word, except (laughs) from you.
0: Okay. It's my own thing. So revolutionary, unprecedented, groundbreaking, astounding. I mean, maybe I just catch that because I don't use those types of phrases, but I see those a lot as tells in AI writing. Also, for some reason, things like game changer or deep dive or delve into seem to be go-tos for language models.
1: Yeah. And I wonder where that comes from. I guess we must use those a lot in... Language, anyway, because isn't it pulling from the data? So, do people just use those words a lot? I guess
0: there's a lot of thusie in the large language model training data.
1: The last tell I think about is you know, in that assignment, is the kid using vocabulary that was never introduced in the class, or vocabulary that or an explanation that clearly goes above what has happened in the classroom? So, if you know, the student suddenly seems to know a whole lot more about cell division than you might have talked about in class. Uh, that may also be a tell.
0: These are careful waters that we have to move through. I've seen a couple studies now showing that there's a mental health hit when kids are accused of using AI to cheat or not work in a way that reflects academic integrity. So. One of the reasons I often am working on AI planning teams within districts is that we need protocols to think through what are the tells, but also then how do we have conversations with students and parents when we suspect that AI has been used in their work.
1: Yeah, I can't stress enough that any of these tells are not grounds for accusing a student of using AI. You have to take in a lot of information and consider a lot of pieces of data before even approaching that conversation with a student.
0: If I was back in the classroom, I'd really enjoy the opportunity when I see something that looks to me like it may not reflect authentic student work. Come have a seat next to me. Tell me about this cell division lab. I'm fascinated to hear what you've learned, what your key takeaways and understandings are.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can learn a lot from kids just through that conversation. And there are kids that know more about cell division than you taught in class. So just because they write a really great essay doesn't mean they used AI.
0: So let's see what Pi thinks about this. All and right. By the way, there's no more British hay Pi. We've now moved on to a new voice.
1: All right. Let me hear it.
0: Hey, Pi, are there any tells that teachers can look for when reading student work that indicates that the student used AI to complete the assignment?
2: Indeed, there are several clues that teachers can look out for when they're trying to determine whether a student used AI to complete their assignment. One, change in writing style. If a student's work seems to have a sudden change in tone, voice, or syntax, it could be a sign that AI was used. Two, consistency in vocabulary and tone, AI-generated text is often very formal and structured and may repeat certain words or phrases frequently throughout the work. 3. Lack of personal touches. If the work seems impersonal, lacking in personal anecdotes or opinions that the student would normally include, it could be a sign of AI usage. 4. Grammatical errors. While AI can generate grammatically correct sentences, it can also make errors that a human wouldn't typically make. Remember, though, that these indicators are not foolproof and should be considered alongside the student's previous work and any other information available. Teachers should always approach each assignment with an open mind.
0: I like that. It seems like we are pie synced So each week, I feel like Pi and Liz and Matt, it could be because you and I... We have a deep affection for Pi. We spend a lot of time.
1: We do. We talk to Pi a lot, so we're starting to be able to read Pi's mind.
0: It's like a Liz Matt Pi mind meld.
1: This has been a great chat, Matt. We talked about your son and my dad.
0: It's family ties with AI.
1: In the news, we discussed how babies learn and large language models. We explored the slightly terrifying topic of AI agents and what they mean for the roles of teachers. We looked at the connection between academic integrity and watermarking, we explored AI vision and unpacked the world of ancient pleasure, and then we went beneath the surface meeting the unique needs of every learner in our deep dive segment. And finally, we hung out with our pal Hey Pi and answered a question on AI tells.
0: We're so grateful for folks who have been listening. We're up to 10 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, so that means at least 10 family members of Liz have really been digging the pod. But please go ahead and join us, like, subscribe, review, and follow us on our new Instagram at chatedupod. And if you have a question for our chat back section, please email us at chatedu@edadvance.org. at edadvance.org. That's chatedu at ed
1: Chat-EDU is recorded at Ed Advance, the Regional Education Service Center in Litchfield, Connecticut. Chat-EDU is produced and edited by Ahmed Malik, whose dedication and expertise bring our discussion to life.
0: Fact-checking is by ChatGPT, ensuring accuracy and reliability in our content. Nah, just kidding.
1: Additional support provided by Jonathan Costa and Abby Waldron. We are grateful for their invaluable contributions to the success of this podcast. And a heartfelt thank you to our listeners for joining us on this journey of exploring the innovative integration of AI in education.
0: See you next time. Bye. Greetings, everyone. My name is Jonathan Costa. I'm the Assistant Executive Director at EdAdvance. Advance. I want to thank you for listening to Chat EDU, our podcast that examines critical issues regarding the application of artificial intelligence in the pre-K to 12 learning space. New episodes will drop every two weeks throughout the rest of this school year. We appreciate your interest in Chat EDU.